We do welcome each one to our service this morning, uh, trusting in the Lord's help and presence as we worship Him together. We're going to commence our praise of the Lord by turning to the words in our hymnal, the Psalm 23a, Psalm 23a, found in that section, the back of the hymnal of Psalms. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down till I, in pastures green, he leadeth me, the quiet waters by. The Psalm 23a will stand as we worship the Lord this morning, please. be seated. I'm going to turn in the Word of God to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, commencing to read 
at verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and reading from verse 9. And the Word of God says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as ye also do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Amen. And may the Lord bless. And the reading off his word this morning, may we be a people that rejoice evermore. And a people, as we see in verse 17, uh, that pray and pray unto the Lord and give thanks unto the Lord without ceasing. Let us come together. Let us seek the Lord and pray unto him. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we rejoice today we can enter into thy presence. We thank thee we can lift our voices to thee in praise rejoicing that thou art our shepherd. And we thank thee that in the difficult times in life and in the hardships, and we have one who loves us. We have one who is our shepherd. And today, Father, we pray that thou would be pleased to lead us beside the green pastures and to lead us to that place where our souls will be fed, where we will meet with thee, where we will receive that blessing from thee. And Father, we do beseech thee, thou would meet with us today. May we, on this day that is set aside for thy worship, rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing and be glad that we are here in the house of God meeting with thee. And our Father, we rejoice that thou art the creator of this world we rejoice that thou art the one who formed the seas. Thou art the one who built the mountains. Thou art the one who put the heavens over us. And as we look at thy creation, we gaze at that which glorifies thee. And Father, we realize as well that thou art the one who created man. Thou art the one who has appointed kingdoms and rulers, and the nations. And Father, we realize that all these things are in thy hand. Thou art the one who is over all. Thou art the one who has dominion. And Father, today we beseech thee that thou would be pleased to remember us. We think, Father, of our civil government. We think of our rulers. 
those that have authority and oversight over us. We pray, Father, for their salvation. We pray that thou would be pleased to move in our land to revive thy work, to revive this nation, and that men and those in authority would see uh, that there is a God and that they, uh, by thy grace and through the power of thy spirit, would bow their knee and would seek uh, to serve uh, the living and true God. Father, we realize uh, the seriousness in which our nation uh, pursues after that which is sinful and that which is wicked and that which is an abomination unto thee. And we pray, Father, uh, that uh, thou uh, would stem the tide, uh, that thou would move in salvation through the power of the gospel. We look at men of old. We look, Father, at those in authority in the scriptures who were saved and delivered, uh, those who were used by thee to do thy will. And we realize, O oh God, thou hast power and authority over the governments of this world. Father, we pray for salvation. We pray for godly government. And we pray, Father, that here in the church of Christ, and we would know that as well. And we would know the blessedness of godly leadership and the blessedness of uh, knowing uh, that thou art the one who is leading and the one who is in control. Father, we remember our congregation. We lay the uh, needs of uh, this work before thee. We do remember the radio ministry and its needs and uh, the great blessing of the gospel of Christ being preached day by day across the airwaves. We pray thou would continue to bless this work. We pray, Father, that uh, thou would build thy church and that precious souls uh, would come to know and love thee uh, through this means of evangelism. We do remember the Sunday school and the uh, children, the teachers, the families within this congregation. Father, grant each of us household salvation. Uh, grant that uh, our children, uh, those who come to the Sunday school, those who attend, uh, would know and love the Savior. We pray that families would be united in Christ and that thou would move in great power and in salvation. Father, give us hearts that love thee, hearts like King Josiah uh, that are tender toward thee and hearts that thou can use for thy honor and for thy glory. Our Father, we uh, do remember those who uh, need thy help. We uh, do pray for our sister Debbie. We do remember Clayton Snow. And Father, draw near to them, we ask. We uh, do pray as well. We remember Daniel. Uh, we pray, Father, that thou would continue to undertake and be with him. We uh, think, Father, of Colin's mother, and that uh, thou would again uh, bless and give help and strength. Remember others as well. We uh, do think today, uh, Father, of the Gulliger family. We think of Calvin in particular, and we pray that uh, thou would be pleased to uh, lead and guide and give strength and grace uh, in that uh, situation uh, for the honor and glory of thy name. Uh, we pray, Father, that he would know uh, the touch of the great physician and that thou would be with him and his family and give uh, that strength and help and comfort at this time. Our Father, we uh, do look to thee for thy blessing today. Forgive us for our sins. May we desire to glorify thee. And as we thought on the Sabbath day earlier, 
And we pray that we would rejoice in this day that is set aside for us to meet with thee. That we would use this day to the glory of thy name. We would use the privilege that we have of coming to the house of God to feed our souls and to know thy blessing, to hear thy word. And Father, may we do so to the honor and glory of thy name. Bless our denomination, we pray. Bless, Father, our churches. We think of the work in Mexico. and We pray that thou would strengthen it and bless it. And may we rejoice in hearing of souls saved and thy church growing there in these days. Father, bless us now, we pray. Meet our needs, and may we look to thee, and we cry for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. I'm going to turn again in our hymnals, the hymn number 660. 660, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. 660, standing to sing, please. You may be seated. 
We're turning in the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we did take a break for a few weeks in 1 Timothy. And we're coming back now to the second chapter. And we'll uh, consider uh, what is said in the opening verses this morning. And I think we may be taking a break again uh, coming up to uh, the end of the month. Uh, when we remember the Protestant Reformation, we'll preach on something tied in or associated uh, with the Reformation. Uh, but we'll come back then after that uh, to this chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll commence our reading at verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself for a ransom to all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence." For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word, the reading of his chapter, for his name's sake this morning. I'd like to extend uh, to all present, to those watching online, a word of welcome, and it's good to have you here joining with us as we worship the Lord uh, today. Do you remember our prayer meeting at 5.30 p.m. and then our evening worship at 6 p.m.? Uh, tomorrow evening uh, there is a session and board meeting, uh, meeting here I've realized that in the bulletin there are two separate times, and those times are both wrong, uh, because the session of meeting here at 6.30 p.m., and then the board uh, will be meeting at 7.30. And so the elders at 6.30, and uh, the board at 
7.30. I've also noticed here in the bulletin uh, that it says we wish our congregation a blessed Thanksgiving. I must have been in Thanksgiving mode all week and forgot to take that out as well. And so if you missed that last week, it's there in the bulletin uh, this week. On Wednesday, uh, we have our prayer meeting and Bible study in the prayer meeting room downstairs. Uh, we're meeting on Zoom as well. And so if you don't get that link and you want to join in, uh, do uh, let us know. On Saturday, we have our men's prayer breakfast uh, at 8 a.m. And then next Lord's Day, the usual times for the services, 9.30 a.m. The Sunday school for children and adults. Uh, the morning worship at 10.30. The prayer meeting at 5.30. The evening worship at 6 p.m. And in the adult Bible class, we're coming to the end of our baptism and membership course next week. And so do uh, remember that if you are interested in baptism and or membership, uh, then please speak to myself. Uh, the Toronto Free Presbyterian Church have an online women's Bible study uh, with Mrs. Jill Saunders. That starts on Tuesday the 31st of October at 4 p.m. our time. And uh, she will be dealing with practical lessons from the message of the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, if... Uh, you want to join, uh, there is a Zoom link and a password, etc. You can speak uh, to Susan and she can help you uh, with that. Uh, these are all uh, the announcements, the subject uh, to the will of God. And we're going to turn in our hymnals the hymn 664. Uh, the hymn 664, I have a Savior, he's pleading in glory. A dear loving Savior, Though earth friends be few. 664 will remain seated while our tithes for the Lord's work are received.
us pray. We thank thee, dear Lord, for thy blessings to us, for your love and mercy that we know in our lives. We ask that you would take our tithes and our offerings, that you would use them and bless them, that the gospel message may go forth to all who will hear, that you will touch hearts, that you will save souls, and we will rejoice in this. Have your church and kingdom to grow. We ask that you'd be with us as we open your word. Bless our pastor, give him the words to preach. Give him unction from above that he may know the help of the Holy Spirit and also in the pew that we would understand and take it in. We thank thee, Lord, for thy goodness to us and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. going to stand to sing verse 5, hymn 664, and verse 5. When Jesus has found you, tell others the story. 664, verse 5, and we'll stand to sing. You may be seated. And we're going to turn again in the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to draw your attention to the first uh, two verses of this chapter. And what we will be saying next time will be connected to our subject today. And we'll be moving a little more into these verses and into that subject. Uh, but the first two verses today, the Word of God says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us unite together in prayer and let us seek the Lord as we come uh, to consider his word. We need his help. We need his grace. We need his speaking voice, the presence and power of his spirit. And so let us come and pray uh, to uh, that end. Our Father, we thank Thee for Thy precious Word. We thank Thee for the instruction that is contained therein to Thy church and to ourselves. And we pray now that as we come to consider this Word, that Thou would bless it to us, that we would 
benefit from it. We would be sanctified by thy word. That we would see here something that we ought to do. May we see something too of uh, the glorious gospel of Christ uh, that can save those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And Father, we pray that thou would be with us now. Give the help, the strength we need. And glorify thy name and work amongst us through thy spirit. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. The church of Jesus Christ is to be a praying church. The church of Jesus Christ is to be a praying church. And this is the clear pattern that we see in the New Testament. Our Savior prayed. His disciples and the apostles prayed. The early church prayed. And throughout the ages, we can see that the church has prayed. And we are then to be a praying church. And the Apostle Paul gives this direction, this exhortation to Timothy in uh, this chapter that the people of God are to be a praying people. These verses that form our text this week contain a clear directive to praying evangelistically for souls. And the church of Christ is to be noted by her evangelistic prayer life. One preacher said that fervent evangelistic prayer is not only our spiritual duty, but it is also an exercise of spiritual commitment that takes much time and energy. Sage Spurgeon said that the soul winner must be a master of the art of prayer. You cannot bring souls to God if you do not go to God yourself. You must get your battle axe and your weapons of war from the armory of sacred communication with Christ. And beloved believer this morning, do you desire to pray? Do you have a prayer life? Is there this communication between you and your heavenly Father? Do you pray for the salvation of friends and family and loved ones? Do you, as this chapter instructs us, pray for others? Do you pray for the salvation of others? The Bible often speaks of evangelistic praying, praying for the Lord to bless and save. In Numbers 14, verse 19, we read, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. In Acts chapter 7, the verse 59, we have Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He's there. He's been stoned. He calls upon God. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. His last words, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He's praying for those who are killing him, those who have struck the fatal blow. And he's, as he's dying, his last words, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He's praying for those. There was a young man there whose name was Saul. And Saul of Tarsus was later saved, converted one to Christ. We know him as the Apostle Paul. He wrote these words here. 
pray. Pray for all men. Pray for kings and for all that are in authority. And the inference that we can take from Paul's emphasis here on evangelistic praying is that this had perhaps fallen from their list of priorities as a church. And that is something we see today in churches. And we see that even in churches where there is a prayer life, those meetings are not the best attended. And of course, when Paul tells Timothy here to pray, and the inference being that this prayer life of the church had fallen slightly, this would be a result of the false doctrines that had permeated the church, such as the Judaizers. There was a narrow-mindedness regarding salvation, how it could be accomplished, and logically that would restrict evangelistic praying. When we think of Gnosticism being taught as well within this church, salvation is only for the elite. That would hinder evangelistic praying. And today there are doctrines that men can hold that limit evangelistic praying as we see in the scriptures. And we can think of hyper-Calvinism. Those who believe so strongly in the doctrines of grace, which we believe, but they believe so strongly in the doctrines of grace that God will save his elect people regardless of what we do as a church. And therefore, there is no evangelism. There's no outreach. There's no preaching of the gospel. There's no reaching out. God will save his elect in due time. And there's no evangelistic praying. And that goes against what we see in the New Testament. That goes against the Great Commission. That goes against the prayers of the New Testament church regarding the preaching of Christ and witnessing to the lost. Prayer, evangelistic prayer is essential. And so Paul opens up this importance of prayer and it's founded upon the sacrifice of Christ. We see that verses uh, 4 uh, down uh, there uh, to the verse uh, number 6. Uh, we see that he speaks of one God and one mediator, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. We pray as a church and we pray evangelistically as a church. Why? Upon the sacrifice of Christ. Christ has redeemed us. Christ has saved us. And now we who are the redeemed of the Lord, we pray for others that they too would be saved and redeemed of the Lord. We pray on the basis of Christ and his sacrifice. And this next section that we have in 1 Timothy, in chapter 2, moving on, details to us how we are to behave in the church of Christ. Now, we're not to think of that word behave in the same way that we tell children, make sure you behave. I'm not coming to you saying today, and make sure you behave. You might be twice my age, make sure you behave. We're not saying that. But what Paul is doing here, he is teaching us how to behave, how to conduct ourselves. We can think of it in a childish way, you must behave. Uh, but rather, he is speaking of conduct, how we are to act and conduct ourselves in the house of God. And it starts here in chapter 2. We are to pray. He then moves and deals with uh, those who are women and believers in Christ. Then he moves into the elders. 
Then he moves into the deacons. And so he shows all these groups of people how they are to act and conduct themselves and interact within the church. And that's important. And that is why this epistle is important. Paul is instructing the pastor and he is instructing the people, this is how we do church. This is how we conduct ourselves. This is how things are run. And this is how we come and pray one for another. This is how we stand against false doctrine. Beloved congregation, these things are important and essential for us to understand. And so in that context, we come to prayer and our duty in evangelistic prayer. Our duty in evangelistic prayer. And there are three simple points this morning, all drawn from the first two verses. And of course, there are some things there at the end of verse 2 that we won't get into this morning, but we'll come back to that. We're not setting that aside that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We're not ignoring that. Uh, we're just setting it aside somewhat uh, for this morning. But a first uh, thought here is that we must pray. We must pray. Our duty in evangelistic prayer is set before us, and we must pray. That is simple. Simple. We know that as believers, but we see that here. Paul says, I exhort you, therefore, that... First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. The context here is that Timothy is standing against false doctrine. He's contending for the faith. Uh, there were no chapter divisions originally, and so this chapter continued from what we know as chapter 1. And chapter 2 was not written at a separate date. It was part of this original letter. The second epistle was sent later. The first epistle was sent together. And chapter 1 and 2 are just part of the same letter. And this is significant as we think of the apostle's thought. He's saying, Timothy, defend the faith. Timothy, stand for truth. Timothy, point out the false doctrine. Preach the truth of God and the truth of the gospel. Timothy, defend the faith. Now, Timothy, pray. You can't do that without praying. And it has been said that prayer is the most important thing that God's people can do. And that is why this church has a praying ministry. We meet on Sunday at 5.30 for prayer. When the Bible class, the Sunday school is not on in the summer, we meet for prayer in the morning. We meet on Wednesday for prayer. The men meet twice a month for prayer. And if you are not involved in any of those prayer times, then I encourage you to get involved. What is preventing you? Are the reasons that can be avoided and set aside? We all know there's unavoidable reasons why we can't come to the house of God on occasion. But there are reasons that we can deal with so that we come together as God's people and meet and pray. It can be stressful to think about praying publicly. But as you know in the bulletin, we have a quotation from Richard Sibbs, the Puritan. What did he say? By prayer, we learn to pray. By prayer, we learn to pray. And so by attending the prayer times of the church, what are you doing? You're learning to pray. You're learning from the prayers of others. As you pray yourself, you're learning 
to pray. I remember as a young child, well, not quite a young child, a teenager, praying in the church prayer meeting for the first time, stressed and sweating and wondering, what could I possibly pray? And then everyone else is around you. They're listening to you pray. And the pastor's kid is also praying, so therefore his prayer life should be, well, up there somewhere because of who he might be. And those pressures that you felt as a teenager. And you maybe prayed for a minute or so. You picked something and you prayed for it specifically. But as you attended and as you prayed, what happened? You learned how to pray. You listened to the prayers of men who'd been praying in that congregation for 30 to 40 years. You learned from those prayers. You learned from praying yourself and God helped you. And encouraged you to pray. And taught you to pray. But you must pray. In order to learn. And to grow in your prayer life. No Christian should believe that prayer in the church prayer meeting is unnecessary. And that is what we're dealing with here in chapter 2. The imperative of coming to the place of prayer. And seeking the Lord. And as a church, dear believer, we must be a praying church. And we must be a church that has praying people. John Calvin, when preaching on this subject, said that as long as we're busy doing good, the devil has less opportunity to draw us into his net since he does not find us unoccupied. On the other hand, those who indulge in idle fantasies are vulnerable to Satan, who is able to carry them this way and that way with ease. And what is John Calvin saying? He's saying this, that in light of all the issues within this world and the issues of our own hearts. We're to keep busy. And if we are busy in prayer and busy with the church, there is less distraction for Satan to take advantage. And Paul is instructing Timothy that as there is this error around him, the church should keep busy. They should be busy in prayer. And that is a great remedy to shut their door to Satan to pray. Calvin goes on and says that prayer is the first and foremost exercise of God's children. It is by prayer that we test the genuineness of our faith when we turn to God and call upon his name. And when we do not only think about ourselves and our concerns, but generally include all who are joined to us and who are in one way or another close to us. Pray for all these people, he's saying. And Calvin believes this is Paul's purpose here, to show that we should not be spending our time in useless and unprofitable labors, but that we should call upon God that he might save sinners. Morning and evening, this ought to be our task. And therefore, the door is shut to Satan to pick up on our distractions. He will not be able to deceive or lead into wicked and futile speculations, as says Calvin. But notice here, in verse 1, Paul says, I exhort, therefore, that... First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. First of all, there's a priority here. Paul is emphasizing this is important. First of all, first of all, I want to say this. First of all, you have to do this. First of all, pray. Pray. There's a priority in prayer. And our understanding of the priority in prayer shows if we have a strong faith or if it is cold. Is there a priority within your heart 
and a zeal to pray to God. The very quotable John Calvin said that the person who says that he trusts God and believes the gospel but has no interest in prayer proves that he is a scoffer and a hypocrite. The person who says that he trusts God and believes the gospel but has no interest in prayer proves that he is a scoffer and a hypocrite. How true that is. Dear believer, if you believe the gospel and you believe Christ and you want to live for Christ, then prayer must be there. You must have a prayer life. You must have a desire to pray personally and publicly with the people of God. And we are to be enthusiastic in the place of prayer. Why? Because of who we're praying to. The all-powerful, the all-sufficient God of heaven. We're not praying to an idol. We're not praying to a man. We're praying to the God who is upon the throne. And prayer here is interceding with God. Seeking the Lord. Bringing our needs and the needs of others before him. Giving thanks to him. We, also, we see this in verse 1. Thanksgiving is part of prayer. Timothy is reminding, uh, being reminded as to what prayer is and who to pray for. And we have evangelistic prayer here, prayer for others who know not the Lord, prayer for individuals who need Christ. We must pray. Those of you who know and love the Lord, in the lead up to your salvation, were the people praying for you? Were they praying for you to be saved, for you to be redeemed? And as you trusted Christ, their prayers were answered. Oh, that we're to do the same. We're to pray for others. And when the Lord answers that prayer, we're to rejoice in it. And what do we pray for? The great needs of the day. Renewal, revival, reformation, missionaries, evangelists, pastors, church planters. We covered some of those things in our own denomination on Wednesday evening. Praying for the work of God and the evangelistic work. And what of the example that we have in prayer? Paul was a great example in the place of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And that perhaps does not mean that we should pray constantly and never stop, never eat, never drink, never go somewhere. Just pray constantly. It doesn't mean that, but it means we're praying regularly and consistently. So much so that there's not regular long periods where we are not in prayer. We are not in prayer. What of Daniel? Daniel prayed three times a day. The king's command was, don't pray. Don't pray to any God. And Daniel prayed, and the word of God tells us he did as he did aforetime. Daniel's pattern was to pray, to pray three times a day to his God and when the decree came not to pray he kept praying he didn't start and say the government are limiting my time of prayer the government is, is saying I cannot pray so therefore I'm going to start praying no Daniel simply did that which he was doing before he was consistent Consistent in prayer before this decree. Consistent in prayer after this decree. He had the privilege of being able to pray before the king ever said, you're not to pray to anyone but me. He took that privilege and that opportunity and he prayed to God. And when he lost that privilege, 
humanly speaking, he still prayed to God because he still had the privilege and opportunity to seek the God of heaven. Dear believer, we're to pray consistently. Whatever befalls us or the circumstances in life or whether the government says you can pray or not pray or whatever it might be, we're to pray consistently through it all like Daniel. What an example he is to us. The Lord Jesus Christ went into a mountain to pray. The Savior in the Sermon on the Mount directed us to pray in our closets away from the world. And so the testimony of Scripture that we see here in light of our duty to evangelistic prayer is that we must be a praying people. We must pray. We must pray for souls. We must pray for the work of God. Dear believer, where do you stand on that today? If we were to examine your prayer life, to put it on display, would we see that you believe that we must pray? Would we see that you believe we must pray evangelistically? Would we see that every opportunity you have regularly and consistency, consistently you're seeking the Lord? Well, you might say, preacher, that's terrible throwing someone's life up on display. Well, metaphorically we're doing that as an example, but you're to do that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 about examining ourselves. You're to put your own life on display between you and God. You're to look at your own life in light of the scriptures. And that includes your prayer life. Look at it in light of the word of God. Examine your prayer life the same way you examine about what sins you're committing. And examining your love of God. Your prayer life is included do you examine your prayer life in light of God? Do you see that you believe that? That we must pray. That we must pray evangelistically. That we must pray as the church of Christ. That we must pray for souls. As you peel back your life in light of Scripture, is that what you see? Oh, that we would challenge ourselves today. That we would see that and know that and have that closer walk with God. But then secondly here, we must pray generally for all men. We must pray generally for all men. And we see that at the end of verse 1, being made for all men. And so there's a general aspect here. Paul is saying, we're to pray for all men. This is who we're to pray for, everybody. And why do we pray for all men? Because in verse 4, Paul says, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And we see here then, because Christ is a Savior who is offered to all men, and the gospel is preached to all men, we are to pray for all men. And the prayers of Christ's church are not just for ourselves in our own little corner. But as we consider on Wednesday evening, we are not alone. We are part of a wider denomination. We have a wider perspective. The ministry of this church extends outside the walls of this church, and it crosses borders. It crosses borders. From time to time, I have a look at our sermon audio statistics. They're very accessible when I go on to create the sermon titles and different things for our brother to upload. And sometimes I look at the analytics and the facts and the figures, and it tells us the countries where the sermons that we have in this congregation over the past 20 years, what countries those sermons have been downloaded in, how many have been downloaded, 
And uh, it's encouraging to see from time to time those statistics. I've never preached in the United States of America. Never. I've been there twice, once on a long weekend and once uh, for our minister's week of prayer where I didn't have to preach. So I never preached in the United States of America, yet I preached to hundreds in the United States of America every month because of the internet. Never preached a physical sermon across the border, but yet the ministry of this church reaches out. It reaches out to Zambia and to Australia and Singapore, and the sermons have been downloaded in Romania over the past month. And the work of this congregation reaches out. Now, we might not know what's going on there or why people are listening to us and the sermons from this congregation over the past 20 years, but God is using that. And there are those who are listening. And so, in that little way, we see that the ministry of this congregation reaches out. When we look at our denomination, this denomination reaches out. We have churches in the United States and churches in Mexico and mission works in Jamaica and Liberia and in other places also. And therefore, what I want you to see is that our eyes are to be open to the great scope we have in ministry. We always focus upon the local congregation, but the scope is much wider. And we're to acknowledge that as well. There is a work to be done locally. This is where God has placed us. This is our priority. But there is a wider work for us to engage in as well. And as we engage in that work, whether it's through the internet, almost independent of us, people find us and listen, and whether it's through the work of our denomination that we support, we're to pray. And we're to pray for all men. And the church is to have an evangelistic vision. And that evangelistic vision is to be focused on what? Founded upon what? Prayer. Prayer. Paul says, pray. Pray for all men. Indiscriminate of who they might be. Some societies can be split. Certain classes or backgrounds of people can be looked down upon. That should never be the case. And it should never be found within the Christian church because we see that we are to pray for all men. All men need Christ. All men need Christ. Not just those from a particular country or those uh, perhaps uh, who are rich in society or poor in society, but all those who have different backgrounds those whose lives have been trodden down by the devil, those who have different political perspectives than we do, we're to pray for them all. If we turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, we'll see this for a moment. We have here the disciples, they're coming to the upper, or <coughs> they're coming to the upper room, and they're praying, verse 14. And we have a great mixture of men here. We have the apostles, the disciples of Christ, Verse 14, Acts 1, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. There's a great group here. And in the disciples themselves, there was variety. There was a tax collector. There was the zealot who was opposed to everything the tax collector stood for. There was a simple fisherman, Peter. The women were there. 
the brethren of Christ, and they all came together in one accord. What does that mean? It's not talking about a Honda. They came together in one accord. Unity. There was a bond of love between them. There was a bond because of Christ. Christ was there. And they were there because of the Savior. There was a great unity within them. And we are to desire that unity as we pray for all men. And we're to pray that all men would be saved and that all men would then be part of that unity as we continue praying for all men. And prayer is to be the mission of the church. If we turn back to Matthew chapter 28, a prayer for the mission of the church. The need for evangelistic prayer goes hand in hand with the Great Commission. Matthew 28 verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That is the mission of the church, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And there needs to be prayer. That mission of the church remains today to go into all the world with the gospel. And it's a commission that must be founded upon prayer and prayer for all men. And we're to pray for those outside the church. We need to remember that we were once outsiders because of our sin and because of our iniquity. And there were those who prayed for us. If you're here unsaved outside of Christ, there are those who are praying for you. Praying that you would be saved. Praying that you would turn from sin. Praying that your sins would be forgiven by the Savior. And believer, when we think of this focus on prayer, this gives us the understanding that every believer is to be involved in the great mission of the church. And every church is to participate in this mission. And we do that on a basic level through prayer. The work of evangelism requires in some ways, financial support. There are things that need to be paid for. There are means that are used and that requires money. And there are those that give and support that as God has given and provided for them. But not everyone can do that. Not everyone can provide in a great way, but there's something else we can do. Regardless of how God has provided for us, financially we can pray. We can pray. And we're to pray for all men. And I encourage you to pray. Pray for souls. Pray for Christ to move. Pray for Christ to move in this congregation. Take people upon your heart. Pray for them. Setting aside the evangelistic aspect for a moment, pray for families within the church. Pray for those who need the Lord's hand to be upon them, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Pray, coming back to the evangelistic perspective, pray that God would save and unite families in this congregation in the Lord. There are souls and names that we pray for. Take our missionaries, our churches upon your hearts. Pray for them. Pray for them. We're to hold the ropes in prayer. We're to hold the ropes in prayer. If you were going down a cliff and I was holding the rope, you would want to make sure that I didn't let go. Because if I let go and you're attached to that rope, you're going to fall to the bottom of that cliff. And so our missionaries, as it were, go over the cliff in, their work, in the work of God. 
They go to serve the Lord, to reach souls. And we at home are holding the ropes, supporting them that they can do that work. And one of the ways we do that is in prayer. And if we don't pray, we let go of the ropes of prayer. May we not do that. May we pray for all men and pray for our missionaries and pray for our ministers. But then thirdly here, we are to pray, we must pray specifically for our rulers. Specifically for our rulers. And notice what Paul says in verse 2. For kings and for all that are in authority. Is that surprising? Paul is saying pray for your rulers. Timothy, pray for those pagan kings. Those emperors. Pray for them. Pray for them that persecute you. Pray for them who take your fellow believer and put him to death. Pray for these people. And we may find that strange because if we look at our rulers, are we repulsed by them? Are we grieved by their wicked rebellion and rejection of God? Or we say judgment is coming. Judgment is coming for the murder of the unborn, for the wicked and corrupt liberal agenda that men seek to force upon the nation. But do we pray for them evangelistically that God would save them? Lord, save their souls. Lord, redeem them. Lord, save them and sanctify them and change this nation. And this is a command that should convict us for kings and for all that are in authority. Have we been doing this? Have we been praying for our leaders at every aspect of government? We can look at the church as well. Are we praying for the leaders within the church of Christ, within our congregation? Are we praying for our employers, that they would be fair, that they would be law-abiding? Do we pray for the rulers within our homes? Save children, do you pray for your parents, for that they would know God's help as they lead your family? Wives, husbands, do you pray for one another, that as you lead your families, that you would know the help of God? Do we pray? Coming back evangelistically, do we pray for our political leaders in every aspect of government? And this is a command that should be taken seriously. Paul did not think that we should just include our rulers in the general praying for all men, but he believed there should be specific prayer. Specific prayer. In Timothy's age, the emperor was the wicked Nero who threw Christians to the lions. He used them as torches to light his gardens. John Calvin spoke of the leaders in his day and concluded that they were all enemies of the gospel, persecutors of poor Christians, murderers, and wicked men. The apostles suffered at the hands of wicked rulers. Yet he commands Timothy and the church to pray for them that God would save. And for this very reason, do we pray for our rulers? Do we pray that God would open their eyes? Clement of Rome in the early church, he prayed, Grant to them, Lord, health, peace, harmony, and stability, that they may blamelessly administer the government which you have given them. Lord, direct their plans according to what is good and pleasing in your sight, so that by devoutly administering, administrating in peace and gentleness the authority which you have given them, they may experience your mercy. Christians have often been looked upon with offense as what we believe seems to undermine the fabric of society because of the teachings of the gospel. 
Christians can appear to be potential revolutionaries, yet we are to lead quiet and dignified lives. And Paul here is saying, we're to pray. We're to pray for kings and for all that are in authority. There's not to be a hostility. There's to be love and compassion. And that is something that undergirds our prayer life. Love for others. Passion for their souls. We're to pray for our rulers because they need our prayers. They need our prayers. We're to pray because they're exposed to temptation and danger. We're to pray for them because they have opportunity to do evil. They are in positions of authority. And how those positions have been abused historically against the church of Christ in particular places, in particular ages. And even today, we think of the church that is persecuted across this world. We ought to pray that they would lead godly lives, that faith would be encouraged in the nation. We need to remember as well, the Lord is in control of kings. He stirred the heart of the king there in the book of Ezra to send those back to Jerusalem. Psalm 2, the Lord is upon the throne. In Daniel chapter 4, we have Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging the true and living God of heaven. And so God works in the hearts of kings and stirs them up according to his will. He is on the throne. And we need to remember that. Well, when we think of the great sins committed by those in authority, do we pray that God will change them? Do we pray that God will save them? And so as we close, dear believer, when was the last time that you prayed? When was the last time that you prayed evangelistically for the authorities over you? May we be a church that prays. May we be a people that prays. Prayer life of a church and the love and compassion seen in praying, it bears testimony to the world of the great message that the church has for sinners, that of Christ and his so great redemption. Oh, that we would pray, that we would be a praying people, that you would be encouraged to come and to pray with us as we seek the face of God. May the Lord bless his word today for his name's sake. Amen. And let us unite together in prayer and let us close. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for thy goodness and grace. We thank thee for this encouragement to pray and to seek the word or to seek thee, to pray evangelistically for souls, for those who know not the Savior. Oh, Father, we think of the curse and the burdens of society. We think, oh God, of those who are in positions of leadership, but they lead according to the flesh. Lord, stir up their hearts that they would turn from sin and look to the Savior. We pray for godly leadership. We pray, Father, that thou would save souls. We think of the early church and how they witnessed and how rulers were saved. We think of Paul, the Pharisee, and we think of others as well who had position in this world, ruling positions, who were saved and won to the Savior. Oh, that the same might happen in our day, in our generation, and to the glory of thy name. May we be a people that pray for this. Father, bless us, we ask of thee. 
Part us with thy blessing. May the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.